Angie, I know we're going to have a very talented artist that we're going to be interviewing today, and I know she has much to share. Yes, today we're going to have Dina Miller, and she's an artist originally from the UK, living in Italy. It seems like there's a lot of artists that lived in the UK that have moved to Italy, which is obviously a very creative place. But she is someone that we both have known and followed on social media for quite some time. Yes, she's very talented and interesting to hear about her creative journey. Hi everyone, and here we are celebrating what people love to do creatively by giving them a voice. I'm Rod Jones. And notice how I say Rod so strong because people always end up calling me Ron. Yes, thank you, Ron. And I'm <laughs> Angie Jones. Welcome to the Thought Rope Podcast. Who I call Angie. True. And we invite you to subscribe wherever you listen. Our episodes are always absolutely free to listen to, and you can go to thoughtrobepodcast.com and listen to current or past episodes directly on the website. Well, let's start by hearing your quote for today. Okay, here is the quote. There are no rules. That is how art is born, how breakthroughs happen. Go against the rules or ignore the rules. That is what invention is about. And that quote is by Helen Frankenthaler. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, color-filled painting, right? Yes, and gorgeous paintings. I love well, them. And that, what amazes me is you always see her. She's kind of not a particularly large woman, and she has this giant canvas laid out all over the floor of her studio. Right. And then she's pouring paint. Uh, one blends into the other. They're yes. really quite spectacular. Well, very revolutionary at the time, too. Her technique was very different. And, and the other thing, too, about her is her paintings ended up primarily in museums because most of them were just too large to put in in the average home. Oh, I could see that. I mean, there's not too many homes that could hold such a huge painting. No, and now today, you know, people do – what's that where they – move paint around on a canvas. Oh, like pouring paint. Pouring yeah. painting. And you might say that she was certainly a pioneer in that. She was, except her paintings were really interesting because the paint became one with the canvas instead of sitting on top, kind of like a 3D effect that most paintings have. It was more absorbed into the, the texture of the canvas. So it was very different than the, the pouring somewhat. Yeah, and if you're not yeah. familiar with Helen Frankenthaler, by all means, Google her and check out some of her work. She's yes, you'll really love it. a fascinating artist. You'll love it. So, okay, Rod, now it's going to be time for you, your Rod's Motivational Moments. All right. Play to your strengths. And I know that's been said a million times before, but it, it's very applicable. And it might be even more applicable today than it ever has been. You really need to play to your strengths. Yes, we all have weaknesses, but we also have things that we're very talented at. And those are the things that you should be happy about. You should share with others. Uh, you should build on them and make those strengths even stronger. That is such a major statement. Play to your strengths. I think sometimes in a day you could forget your strengths because you're like, oh gosh, you know, I didn't do so good here. And I, you know, I wish I could do better here. And you really do have to keep that perspective of, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not so good here, but I really am strong in these, these areas of my life or my, my abilities. You bet. Be proud, of, be proud of your strengths. Yeah. And they can obviously always use a little bit more work to them, but uh, just play to your strengths. Mm -hmm. They'll never let you down. And then I want to say picking up on uh, your earlier quote about breakthroughs. Yeah. Tell everyone about our new creative journal. Oh, I'd be happy to. It's so exciting to bring our creative journal to everyone. Um, we think it's going to be really useful. Uh, it's very simple. It's black. It 
It's not going to stand out if you have it in your tote bag or briefcase or just even carrying it in your hand. And it's called All Your Thoughts in a Row Creative Journal. And it's available on our website, just right there on the homepage. You don't have to go in it's any special tab. And, and it's our on our website at thoughtrowpodcast.com. I got excited. Yeah. A little tongue-tied. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking it's a great way to wind down the year. Because yeah. we all have thoughts about what has taken place over this past year, right. and you can, and then you can also think about all the things that you want to do this coming year. So it's a great way to not only to wind down this year, mm-hmm. but it's a great way to move forward into next year. And I suspect it's going to be a pretty cool gift item. Totally. And to add something really nice about that, we have worldwide shipping. Yes. Yeah, so. Order now, so that way you'll get it for the holidays. And Or if you want to order it for a birthday, anniversary, office gift, friend gift, um, even someone maybe that's having a baby, they can write down their thoughts in that because it's very portable. And I think that anyone that wants to be more creative will love it. Yep. Okay, so now we're going to move more into a closer mm-hmm. part of our topic today yes, and uh-huh. who we'll be interviewing with, actually. And when you teach art on any subject, for that matter, yeah, I, I often hear instructors say, in fact, I just heard one from a museum say this, um, how much they learn from their students. They seem to learn more from their students than actually the course curriculum that they started out with. Oh, probably, because you're getting lots of feedback. I think that's really neat and cool as a teacher that you are able to get that because so many times I think artists, you know, working alone, they don't have someone to bounce ideas off of so and or just thoughts in general to provoke more thoughts in yourself. Yeah, and teachers are getting feedback from their students all day long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some of that feedback may be somewhat critical, mm-hmm. and the teacher hopefully will learn from that. Or that's a lot of praise. The students after class, whatever, will walk up to a teacher and say, hey, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me on this particular uh, facet of what we were learning today. Right. And then the teacher can go home and say, hey, I really got through to that student, and that uh, to me, is probably extremely rewarding. Right. The dialogue between people. Yeah. So important. So important. You know, we were talking earlier um, before we, we recorded the podcast, and we were talking about two different kinds of art, which is representational and non-representational art. And I think that that was kind of an, an, an interesting Yes, and, and, and those are tricky words because not everybody understands what representational or non-representational means. Mm-hmm. But I, the quick way of saying it is abstract and non-abstract. An abstract can mm-hmm. be something, well, everybody's pretty familiar with abstract art, and there's a good percentage of people out there that love abstract art, and there's certainly a percentage of people that do not like abstract art. Mm -hmm. And non-abstract art would be a painting of something that you can immediately identify, uh, like uh, a vase of flowers or a cabin near a stream or a beautiful sunrise or sunset. That would be a non-abstract or that would be representational. Representational, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I happen to like both. I personally paint a little bit more on the abstract side, Mm -hmm. but I have tremendous respect for people that paint or create art, even uh, even if it's mosaics or things along those lines that are uh, non-abstract. Well, I mean, I I think there's a a place in anyone's home for both. It's just what you feel uh, comfortable with and what you feel like you want to project in your own interiors and in your home. Yes, they can be they can be very grounding. It might be something that uh, an ocean scene that's painted really well and it might inspire you or you might look at it just to mm-hmm. to bring a little more peace into your soul at the time. Right on. Right on. Well, you know, you, you may be listening to this episode and thinking to yourself that you're not an artist. But we suspect you are proficient at something. Almost everybody is. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is an art. That is so true and entirely true. I mean, even if you're cooking a dinner and you just go, oh, I'm not, you know, I'm a housewife. I don't really, 
I don't do anything other than take care of my family and that's enough and I'm not really artistic. Well, you really are. If you're decorating, if you're buying clothes, if you're buying, you know, purchasing food and making a, a lovely meal, that all takes a lot of uh, artistic thinking, whether well, you realize uh, it or not. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I think one of the things that both Angie and I have learned from our guests, and we try to pick people in different fields, and you may be an artist, but you may be fascinated hearing what an opera singer has to say because they're creative or vice versa. You may be a... Um, a jazz guitarist like we had on recently. Right. But a lot of feedback that we've received have been from painters. They just say, oh, I really appreciate his approach to his creativity and his passion and all that. So mm-hmm. we always think it's important that if you're not necessarily tuning into a show that you think you could get anything from, trust me, you will. Tune in anyway, because there, there may be a few phrases in there that inspire you to think about things differently and to maybe experiment with something with whatever your art form is and you will be surprised i think that exposing yourself to as much information as possible is what makes you very versatile as an artist no matter what kind of art you create i agree with you angie thank you darling Okay, well, I think now it comes the time that we're going to hear from someone who is a remarkable artist, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So let's start our conversation with Dina Miller. Dina, welcome to the Thought Row podcast. You know, we've we've known each other for several years now, and I really want to tell our listeners that Dina is one of the truly great artists that I've ever had the opportunity to know. Yes. Hi, Dina. Both Rod and I have enjoyed seeing your art in all its forms on your website and on social media, and your remarkable versatility when it comes to subjects you choose to create. Dina, Thank right you. Here. Hi. That's so wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Yes, that's a, a wonderful compliment. Yeah, I I do paint and draw in many different styles. And I the reason for that is because I've looked at so much art in my life and um, learned such a lot from looking at it. And another thing apart from creation that I mostly love doing is is having teaching others and imparting what I know to other people at whatever level they happen to be, whether they're beginners or they've been doing it a while. I think I'm most like teaching in a mixed group. Mm-hmm. Well, you know and, what? We're going to ask you yeah. several questions related to yes. that, and thank you for sharing that. Please, I, please I, to I hear. think Angie has uh, her... Yeah, you know, we we like to ask our guests uh, before the interview starts what they had for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Now, I know for you, it's been a few hours because <laughs> you're at the end of your day, but what did you have? Mm-hmm. Well, this morning, I, I think I got up around 4.30, and I was hungry, so I just went to the fridge, got up some a tin of tuna and poured it on some bread with a bit of tomato and wine vinegar and just stuffed it down my throat and went back to bed and did some drawing. And then about nine o'clock I had a cup of tea and um, a biscuit maybe. I tend to eat when I'm hungry. What a great I'm not very good at eating regular meals. Yeah, But that's actually probably really good for your body because you're eating when you need to. But that sounds really delicious, yeah, it actually. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> uh, Dina, I, I also want to mm-hmm. mention that you have a very unusual first name. Could you tell us a little the story behind it, a little bit about it? I'll tell you a tiny bit about it. It's um, a, a combination of Irish and Old Testament. Oh, okay. my, my parents were a little bit complicated, to put it mildly. And I, Dina comes from the Old Testament and the spelling of it with the A-G-H is Irish but there aren't many Dinas with that spelling in Ireland it's been a real pain of a name in the past but being called Dinak, Dunug all sorts of things but I just I've never bothered to change it so I'm, I'm quite happy with it 
the way it is now. So. Well, well, I, I think for an artist, I think it's a it's great a really name for an artist. Name, yeah. And for our listeners, it's oh. spelled D-E-E-N-A-G-H. And I know when you and I mm-hmm. first chatted on the phone several years ago, I, I think I asked you that question because I thought, wow, what a beautiful name and, mm-hmm. a, and a great name for an artist. Uh, not as simple as Rod Jones. <laughs> it's, <laughs> no. a be- it's a beautiful name. Anyway, True. go ahead, Thank Angie. You. Yeah. Okay, um, Dina, so tell us about the early years of, of you. Where did you grow up and when did you discover you wanted to express yourself as an artist? Um, I I was about six when I knew I wanted to... Well, I didn't know I wanted to be an artist, but I remember looking at my mother had little books on all sorts of different artists from people like Raphael, Rembrandt, Titian, Veronese to the Impressionists um, and Picasso and uh, a few other artists. And I looked at them and, and I could kind of read little bits of the words because I learned to read when I was very young. And I remember thinking, oh, that's what they, they draw and paint all day. What a wonderful thing to do. I, I'd like to do that when I grow up. And it was like a kind of light bulb moment, but uh, when I was six. But and and I looked, used to love looking at pictures in books. Um, my mother had pictures, a lot of pictures on the walls. But it wasn't till I was about thirty that I finally got to really concentrate on um, my own painting and drawing. <clears throat> and before then, I, I although I do do love talking about education and influences. I actually got expelled from school, art school and university. But oh I did goodness. eventually go to university in Bristol and do a degree in history and history of art, which was nothing, it was not practical, there's no painting and drawing in it, but you really learnt about art from, say, Greek um, art right up to um, abstract art in the 20th century. And it, it, was, it wasn't at all political. It was just aesthetics and, and, and the history of the different artists, their individual lives and their relationship to the times they lived in. And it was very, very interesting. Mm. And at the time, I didn't appreciate what a really valuable learning <clears throat> experience it was. And, um, and when I did a few years later, I, I, I'm always willing to communicate what I do know, what I remember now, because <clears throat> I'm quite a lot older to anybody mm-hmm. who's who's interested yeah and in my classes i used to take books and all sorts of different books from say classical art to modern art mm-hmm. and really encourage people to look at things and question well you know you're, and what you're, they liked and why, yeah. yeah you're so very conversant in that topic oh, yeah. and i think the mm-hmm. early years where you had the opportunity to just look at all these images and it probably mm-hmm. left an impression on you from a very young age mm-hmm. and you kind of carried that forward. You know, we know you're originally from the UK, United Kingdom, and mm-hmm. you're now currently mm-hmm. living in Italy. And I've heard you say that you feel more creative when you're there. Tell us about that. I think it's because my <clears throat> one of my first loves is Italian Renaissance art. And there is a lot it's it's there's so much art in Italy. You'd have to spend a lifetime. You could spend a lifetime just going around looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the buildings here. Um, the Italians build buildings. I love their cathedrals and their churches and just their ordinary buildings. Um, so because I I'm very interested in the relationship of architecture to trees, the relationship between tre- trees and buildings, and how one's very form of straight lines and curved lines. Um, well, the, archi- the architecture... The climate, yeah. Yeah. The climate is good. Yeah. The yeah. architecture mm-hmm. is uh, incredible. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. can see mm-hmm. in some of your renderings, I can mm-hmm. see that you've spent a lot of time capturing your environment. Yeah, and observing it. And then you what were you going to say see. about the weather? We we miss good weather. Yes. <clears throat> The climate, and she is, it's very, it's warmer. And one of my first loves in art was frescoes, which has been possible to do in the UK because it's, it's a much more humid, damp climate. But in Italy, in a bit south from here, it's very dry. And frescoes, because they're permanent, the, the technique of them makes them impossible to move. 
unless you take the wall down. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the first exhibitions I saw in London when I was about 14 was some frescoes from Florence that had been, um, I think, the, the, they'd been, perhaps the buildings had fallen down and so there were, there were sort of some remnants of them. They were quite, some were quite large, like life-size, and some were quite small. But I was absolutely captivated by their, their vibe. They were sort of the colours, the vibrancy, mm-hmm. and the yeah. immediacy, and the fact that it, it was like painting into blotting paper. Oh, yeah. Because the technique is, um, is I, 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 I would love to have learned how to do it, but it's, it, it never quite happened. Well, it's a timeless art understand. form, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, you mm. need to be a real craftsperson to achieve that. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Yeah. Very much so. Now, I know yeah. earlier we were talking about um, your career as an art teacher. We just kind of touched on it. Can you give mm-hmm. us some background on when and where you were an art teacher? Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm i not qualified, actually, to teach. But in, mm-hmm. I started in 1989. Mm-hmm. And in those days, um, you didn't need to be qualified to teach adults. You, you would do to teach children, but not adults. And um, I kind of out of the blue one day, I got a call from the college in Bath um, asking if I would be interested in teaching a class there. Um, they, they contacted me through a gallery owner, Tony Hepworth, who knew me as an artist. And he recommend, he suggested he put my name forward. And so I said, sure, I'd be very interested. So I went over a few days later, had an interview. And it, those days, you had a contract every term. Mm-hmm. But um, and I said I, I'd never actually taught, but I was prepared to give it a go for a few months. And if, if the students liked if it worked, I'd be fine with it. So that's how it came about. And there were about 23 students in the, in the class. And I was I was totally in the deep end, but I very quickly realised that the pe- people there were total cross section of backgrounds, ages, and I can't, I just really enjoyed doing it. Just creating a group where everybody was right. working together, but individually. And um, well, I suspect yeah, you. I suspect you're an excellent teacher, especially oh, yeah. with your background and also your talent. You know, one of the things, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. one of the things I greatly enjoyed Mm -hmm. when looking at your India ink drawings, there always seems Mm -hmm. to be Mm -hmm. a theme that looks dreamlike, at least dreamlike to me. Mm -hmm. It's easy Mm -hmm. to create a storyline when I look at them, uh, but you never really know what you as the artist had in mind. Mm -hmm. Share with us. What goes on in your imagination when you create these subjects? Well, now you put it like that, actually, that is so true. Because, in fact, I don't always know myself exactly what I'm going to draw. But if I'm drawing buildings and landscapes, that's obvious because that's just looking and seeing. But if it's from the imagination... um, Pen and ink is, is, is almost like a form of writing. And um, so when I draw, it's I, I have to hand maybe some books that have got um, pictures of old masters in them or sort of more formal art, and then little pieces, things cut out from magazines, adverts, uh, from brochures, all sorts of modern things from newspapers. And I look at them and I, and I sort of intuitively put piece them together in a kind of narrative, but I'm not entirely sure exactly what the narrative is. But I think there's something very interesting. You see, I have a great love both of narrative art, say pictorial things that tell stories, and of abstract, and the interplay of the two. And, and I think my, perhaps in my dreams, I, I, I did have dream analysis many years ago, mm-hmm. and that was um, Yeah, your art has very a, interesting It experience. is very dreamlike. It has yeah. a dreamlike quality to it, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. makes the viewer want to imagine a story. Well, you feel like you're, you're part of that dream, yes. and that's kind of a, a neat place to yeah. be in. Well, it, it also so, connects with my next question, which is, um, I know that I think on your website I read, you've stated that the art you create is both conscious and subconscious. What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Well, I think 
it, it's it's a very it's complex and yet it's simple. Mm-hmm. It's allowing maybe what you do to it is that uh, relationship between being very conscious of what you're doing, thinking I'm going to do this or do that, and also not quite knowing what you are doing. And when the two sort of converge, that's when maybe some you're sort of in a kind of zone. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I'm putting it very well, but. No, it's, actually, you are. I really yeah. like yeah. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. With the intu- intuition, it's like thinking and feeling and intuition and sensation when they all, and, and you actually have to work for it as well. It doesn't always come just at the end of the paintbrush or the nib. You have to, sometimes that you have to force myself to start drawing <clears throat> and or painting. Um, and then after a while, a few minutes or even longer, you find you sort of feel your way into doing something. I would definitely say um, 10, 20 years ago when I was painting and drawing, I was more doing it from like a thinking point of view. I'd think my way into a subject or an idea or a theme. Mm -hmm. But now because I'm a bit older, I, I can sort of more feel my way into it and not worry too much about the mistakes and things that don't go quite exactly as I'd like them to. Um, but, and, and yes, encouraging and, and putting that across to, to, to students or other people mm-hmm. is is because of having years of experience. I can sort of almost look at even the way somebody holds a pen or a pencil or a paintbrush. I can tell, see how tense they are. And sometimes even just encouraging somebody not to hold a pencil or a paintbrush so hard, so tight, mm-hmm. results in a more fluid, more relaxed. They're more relaxed when they do it. Um, mm-hmm. And, and where they place things on the paper and, and sort of how they make a mark and whether their people are using working from like the wrist or the elbow or the arm. All those things have a, um, it's, it's, there is a physicality to it, although actually painting and drawing is very sedentary because you have to more or less sit or stand in the same place. Sure. Mm-hmm. But, um, Mm-hmm. You know, I, I so have a question I was, um, for you, Dina. Mm-hmm, if if you mm-hmm. could give one bit of advice to someone that maybe is, you know, not mm-hmm. beginning, but just, you know, maybe they've painted a little and and they don't they don't know how to draw upon their creativity. Uh, what would you mm-hmm. say to them? What is what inspires you, or what motivates you to uh, to let that loose inside of you? It's to keep going. And mm-hmm. I would say that it, it can take up to, two, used to say to people when they were starting out, it can take two years to um, discover your own style or, 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 or kind of process and, and be more fluid and confident in it. Mm-hmm. And along to, to try different things, maybe to try and, depending on your situation, maybe do something every day or every week, mm-hmm. um, as everybody's situation is so different. Yeah, um, and true. not be afraid if one of the things I did observe when she was in say in a class situation when people would come yeah, and there, it's a special occasion that time in the week or something they would have a really good week when you know they'd produce something rude that they didn't think they might do and then the next week would be really quite a disaster and what <laughs> mm, I would yes. a very interesting <laughs> yeah. right and I say well if you've had a really bad week I bet you next week will be brilliant, you know, and, right. and very often that turns out to be true. We've all, um, we've all been you there. Have to, mm, <laughs> yeah, we've all yeah, been there. You almost have to go through um, and overworking things. I would really, doesn't suit everybody, but really push, you know, maybe you've done some, made some nice marks and you like them, but maybe just even rub them out, go over them, mess about with them, push, push it here and there. Just be very experimental. Don't be afraid afraid of destroying what you created because out of that you something else will come and that's the sort of the working of it it's a bit like maybe aspects of alchemy because it's an internal and an external process it's, it's also what's going on in your mind while you're doing it and that's mm-hmm. leads me sometimes to remember when i was abstract students doing their paintings it, doing abstract painting everyone had a different style a different way of making marks and i could tell the difference between them all oh interesting um, you know i the mm, two, two things mm. that you said were especially on the early question that ng asked you 
is the conscious and subconscious and mm. the spontaneity that you have learned to embrace. And I don't think artists, I know for myself, that's not something that you figure out early on. And then the other thing I really like what you said is it's always um, a work in progress and you're always inventing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then probably mm-hmm. the most important mm-hmm. thing is you're always experimenting. Once you forget that it's just a constant experiment and you start to make it to form lake i think that's when art loses its uh energy that you feel with inside i, I really like your uh the way you approach it subconsciously or not not yeah. really knowing where it's coming from you just get in there and start making it happen i think that's what mm-hmm. makes your art mm-hmm. uh incredibly special mm-hmm. and one of the things i personally really enjoy uh, when I see it, and I know we'll make reference later on in our discussion where people can see your art, and I think they're going to be absolutely fascinated. True, true. And I and I have to say, I, I really do love the spirituality and the heart that you have in each drawing, rendering, painting that you um, have posted. It's just like, it's magical. So now it's time for my semi-tough yeah. question. At least it's hard for me to read it. Um, We know that your art is assembled by color and harmony. When I look at some of your work that you've created, it seems like color is secondary to the harmony, to the story. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, there's some truth in that. Um, um, I'm incredibly sensitive to color, but um, in paintings, um, it, it, um, in, the, in, the, in the visual world I, I look at, yes, I, I can see I'm not colored. But when I look at paintings, um, I can immediately, I'm very conscious of the pigments that have been used. And in the 20th century, most people sadly um, have been, you know, use, use as a chemical pigments, the paints they buy mass produced and they're not of a very good quality and most people can't afford to buy very expensive paints sure but color 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 has a direct emotional effect rather like music look at color and even if you don't understand the psychology of it or the meaning of it or anything it does affect you very deeply um and so i'm very picky about color um and when i'm painting i look i think that like that red's awful it's appalling I, yes, I can't afford to buy, spend 120 quid on it. So, so I sort of tend to sometimes not do it because black and white drawing is is just black and white. But yeah, colour is immensely symbolic and very. I'm very conscious sometimes of the different colours, what their meanings are, and their interrelationships. Um, well, I think it's and, interesting. And the effect they have on people. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it's very interesting that in some of your renderings, Mm. you will add Mm. some color in there, but the color, to me Mm. anyway, seems secondary because what you're drawing uh, tells a story, or there's there's just so much going on there, Mm -hmm. a lot of imagination, and the color just seems to be a supportive player. Yeah, and the narrative. I think Mm -hmm. that when you add color to some of your renderings, it's like it puts um, that particular... Uh, image or, it draws or you drawing, in. yeah, that's the one that you focus on, and then you build yeah. from there. I love that; it's mm. so beautiful. Mm. Well, summer drawings. I'm going to uh, pu- sort of put us in a book form, maybe on on a Kindle format. So I, it's black and white because color is very expensive. So I thought I, sometimes I go back and add color to drawings, mm-hmm. but. Um, but when I'm actually painting a painting, I, I sort of narrow it down to use very few colors. One of the things I learned about, say, Renaissance painting paintings, although they look overwhelmingly complex and in terms of narrative and style and skill, um, actually the colors they had were very limited. But most of them only used about four to five colors in a painting mm-hmm. because in oil painting, even a few colors mixed you, you combine one with another you get so many shades and hues that learning to use three or four colors together really well that's, that's what i often used to say with color say so choose three or four colors you you feel comfortable with or that's over a period of a few weeks or sessions let's find out which colors you like mm-hmm. and maybe just use those for a year you know not all the time necessarily but maybe and then out of that will come 
you'll know those colours and the relationship between them, what you can do with them to be expressive. And to go back a bit to talking about how to encourage people to be confident of their... It's being sort of to express themselves creatively. It's to to, to trust yourself, Mm -hmm. somehow to trust your intuition, which we are not really encouraged to do in our education. So it's an area intuition is not something we're we're accustomed to knowing how to manage or to experience. Right. Sure. And Mm. it takes quite a long time to, to be confident in doing that. But um, I you know, I'm very that. proud of the fact that some of my students stayed with me for 18 years. Yeah, and when I I did it, I finished after 18 years. I could say I can that's, understand that's a why very they big would. compliment yeah. to yeah, you. Compliment. Mm. Enormous. Mm. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I was yeah. thinking about yeah. when you were young. Uh, did you ever mm-hmm. want to do anything else besides be an artist? Yes, I did. I wanted to be a dancer, a ballet dancer. I could see and that. A doctor. Okay. I love it. You want yeah, to heal yeah. and you yeah. want to be joyous. <laughs> Two good things. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love yeah, it. Yeah. And yeah, crazy. Uh, I'm going to give you another one of my uh, <laughs> long questions. Monster questions. Um, do you believe that art is philosophical for the artist more than for the viewer? And by that I mean. Uh, there always seems to be a million interpretations of someone's art, but I don't think it's what the artist intends. Give us your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. I think that that leads to one of the biggest questions of all, is what is the relationship between art and society and art and the individual? Mm. I think it operates on several different levels. Um, and I I remember when I was doing art history, one of the tutors passed a very casual comment, but in fact it was monumental. When I think she said, um, he said, art reflects society. And I really, I found it's an astonishing sort of, it's a very simple thing, but in fact, I think there's a lot of truth in that. And I remember one of my friends in, in France, he used to say, show me your dustbin. And I'll show you the, the, the society that produced it. I'll, uh-huh. I'll explain this. And I thought, I suddenly, I thought, actually, I could say that about art. Show me your art, and you can kind of unravel the kind of society that produced it. The mind, the, 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 the sort of the techniques, the, the sort of the tools, all the skills, all the materials that would be need, needed to produce it. And uh, I, yeah, what does it mean to an individual? What do viewers? when they look at I think that's again what we see that also goes the question of like which um, I, I hit a critical point with that I think it was um, when I was again doing art history one of the tutors that spent a lot of time talking about when you look at something people say oh I like that or I don't like that mm-hmm. and it's, you know kind of it's a very easy thing to say or not and it's, if you really know you dislike something a picture you really don't like you perhaps it's really good if you can say why you don't like it to, mm. and also if you really like something what it is you like about that and I realized that I didn't have much of a vocabulary for that so I that's I needed to look and look and look and pay more, more attention to what I was learning and, and the, reading the books and the book list and stuff. Um, yeah, it's so easy and, for people who yeah, yeah. show a judgment. piece of art. Mm, yeah. They have a mm, quick judgment. Mm, oh, I don't like it. And then mm, you say, mm-hmm. well, why don't you like it? Yeah. And they go, I don't know. I, I just don't, don't like yeah, it. Exactly. You know, or they'll say, I like it. And I think, yeah, I think that was uh, mm, very mm, valuable what mm, you just mm, said, Dina. So mm-hmm. valuable. Yeah, very valuable. But because it's so also, uh, it's kind of interesting about um, somebody not liking something um, is sometimes they don't like it because they mm. don't like the emotion it caused in them. It's not because the artwork is bad. It's because they don't like how they feel. It scares them. It scares them. So I think that's where you, you yeah. examine your own inner critic before you pass judgment. It's like, what what is it that you feel really so kind of interesting. I, I like the the thought process that you came up with, Adina, on that one so much. Mm. Yeah. Was, was feel, feeling feeling is so difficult to manage. 
I think mm-hmm. I think our feelings are the hardest things about ourselves to to understand, and and they're invisible, mm-hmm. and yet they they kind of um, we we can't control them. Yeah, and I think that's where visual art can be such a useful tool. I used to sort of you know in a group you sort of get some books out and look at things and one person would really like a picture somebody would really dislike it Mm -hmm. but we could have such an interesting conversation around that and you can end up saying well I don't like that picture but actually there are qualities about it that I really respect and value and I can actually learn something from and you know but I don't necessarily like it but I I can understand it Mm -hmm. and equally I really like like something but I I can't necessarily explain. I can also, sometimes I can say why and sometimes I can't. Um, I think there's things that I really like. I, I, sometimes things that are very universal, like a beautiful landscape or something yeah. very harmonious to look at that people give a lot of people pleasure. And then other times I can look at a religious narrative painting, which I don't really understand the narrative because it's complex and it's got lots of symbols in it or something. But I really know there's something there that's very valuable and interesting if, if it could be unlocked. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we all have and, uh, preconceived no, notions. You're, you're going to. And yeah. I, think, I think just by human history, when you look at mm-hmm. a landscape, a peaceful scene, more often than not, we all say, gee, I wish I was there, mm-hmm. or I, I can feel the... Uh, Nature, it makes me feel good when I see nature, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, you know a painting of graffiti on the side of a building. I know for some people they find that exciting and interesting, but it's not all that calming inside. At mm-hmm. least I don't think so. What were you gonna? Ask? Well, you know, I, I was just thinking about what Dino was saying, and uh, you know, passing judgment on on art, and I wondered. Um, do you ever look at a painting or rendering that you've created in the years past and think to yourself, God, what was I thinking? Or do you look back in retrospect and see the evolution and go, oh, okay, I get, I get it. I, sometimes it's so embarrassing. Uh, actually, yes, it's, it's, again, that's a very interesting thing because it is, one does evolve over time. It's like when I'm teaching, I would say to people, put a date on something because you think you're going to remember when you did it and two, three years' time you don't. Yeah. But if you ha- can keep it, you can see the progress you make or the development. Um, and sometimes I throw things away or I improve them because mm-hmm. I, you can see what's wrong. Well, it's another interesting thing about painting is, is sometimes you, you create something on a piece of paper or canvas and you know it's not quite right, and then you put it out of sight and go and do something else, do some other work. And maybe a few months later, a few weeks later, or even years later, you can look at it, get it out, and you can see exactly what it needs doing to it to make it what you had hoped it could be at the time you started it. Mm. Do you um, ever do you ever go back? That, oh, yeah. Mm. Do, you, do you ever go back and look at a piece of work that you did, say, several years in the past, and you pull it out, you revisit it, and you look at it, and you wonder to yourself uh, that you almost can't believe that you actually painted it because it is so good or it is so remarkable, and it kind of makes you feel really good inside, and. And you may not even know who that person was who painted it on that given day, week, or month. And you look back in retrospect and go, wow, I painted this. This is so different. I wonder what I was thinking that day. God, Rod, you made me laugh. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 when I do that, because I've got quite a few paintings back in Bristol, I think, God, my hand must have been a lot steadier then because I couldn't do that now. It's a brush control to do details. And uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's a very interesting thing to, to visit one's um, past work. And, and yes, it, it's it, it, it's a good thing to do. But then again, I think who's going to be interested? What am I doing all this for? How does anybody? What? What? Why does one keep on producing all this stuff? Uh, why do? Why do people need to produce art? And people need to see it. And people, it, it's. And the relationship between art and society and 
and your individual relationship with it and what you've created, relationship with other people in the wider world. It's sometimes I, I long, I remember being very impressed with early Renaissance art and Romanesque art and very much earlier art when artists weren't famous. They were just people that did these things and made them for various locations or places or patrons. And they didn't even put their name on things sometimes. Um, it's the ego and the, the, the that whole area of wanting recognition and yet feeling very not good enough. And I don't, it, it, it brings up a lot of stuff around the psychological issues to do with identity and um yeah, the interesting thing about me. yeah, the interesting <laughs> thing in, about art is you can be so passionate and so compelled to do it, and then you may look back yeah. at your collection of work for the last several years, and then you go, "Gee, I'm not really selling any of it. I don't think anybody really cares." But then you really have to refocus on yourself as to why you actually are doing it and what an expression it is of who you are inside. And I think a lot of times people yeah. think that, oh, well, if people aren't buying me art, buying my art, then I must not be a valued person or I'm not that creative, which is always a joke because some of the most brilliant art has been achieved and accomplished and nobody ever knew it was great art until long after the artist passed away. So. I think it's it's a compulsion, um, but a healthy one. I think it's a very healthy for people that create, no matter what they do creatively, because there's something going on within inside the spirit of each of us that is so important to nurture and embrace and not be afraid of it. But I love your answer on that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think I love what you say, as you said, which takes me back to looking at one's past work. I find what I have found when I've done that, which I have done quite a lot over the last few years at different points in time, is I, it depends on what sometimes I'm in a certain setting, in a certain type of frame of mind, and I get the plunge, I draw out a drawer, and I look through the drawings. I think they're dreadful. And then other times, say a few months later or a year later, I get the same drawer, drawer out, the same drawings, and I look at them and I think, oh, they're not that bad. You know, that, that there's something in them that, my, and that again, depends on one's fr- I think it depends on my frame of mind. I didn't yeah, like that. that yeah, that's the really biggest does. issue. So, uh, yeah, mm, frame of mm. mind. You can be having a great day and go, oh, this is so beautiful, or mm. maybe things aren't going as well. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you this question. What would be the one thing that you would tell people, because you certainly have lived it, that want to live uh, a more creative life? What would you tell them? I'd say don't leave it too late. And take advice or encouragement from wherever you can get it. And don't listen to people who discourage you. And plenty of people will. Um, but just throw yourself into it. And and one particular, I don't know, one particular piece of advice is don't give up on yourself. Okay. Um, I like that. Which that's, people that's good do advice. all too easily. That's very and, good uh, advice. Don't yeah. be afraid of making mistakes and all that usual stuff. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. Uh, it's... it's- Mm. Okay. So because, now, yeah, it's, it's in there somewhere. Oh, I like yeah. that. Yeah, it is in there somewhere. Yeah. You just have to, you have to seek find it. it. <laughs> seek yeah. and yeah. you seek. shall find it's, it. That's it. <laughs> I like that. Seek and you it's shall find thing, it. Yeah, between this, yeah, the, it's the subjective and the objective, it often seems to be a battle between the two. Like, like your feelings and emotions and expression and creativity and then the other side of you, which wants to evaluate it and judge it and assess it and monetize it and evaluate it and rationalize it. And there's this other side, which is the crazy creative side. Um, and they're constantly there inside you. Well, that's the, that's the side that mm. we would hope that everyone embraces mm. first and let that other, other stuff will take care of itself. Right. Where's your, now for yeah. your brilliant question Angie. Well, we ask everyone this question and I'm I'm always like so fascinated by what they say and that is if you sit on a park bench and chat with someone from the past who would it be? My god. Um I don't probably not an artist. It would probably be uh, a knight uh, um in the middle ages, but I can't think of which one it would be. But just 
um, somebody who got up and 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 put on all that armor and um, be fascinated to talk to somebody from a completely different age and time. Um, what kept them going? I mean, because one of the things to me is I I find some of my artist friends and I know a lot of artists. I don't always spend a lot of, I, I prefer the company of people who aren't artists, actually, mostly, mm-hmm. um, because they're more down to earth, they're more sort, of, um, more sort of not so caught up in all the sort of That's dialogue. interesting. It's yes. interesting that you say that because there's a very famous uh, music director. Conductor. Conductor, thank yes. you, um, Arthur Fiedler. And he hated musicians. Of course, that's who he worked with all the that's time, so right? Funny, he would conduct it? orchestras. But after he would mm. conduct uh, a famous symphony, uh, I think it was the uh, Pops, which is most famous for directing, he would leave the stage and he would go over to a local firehouse because he loved hanging out with firemen. He hated talking to musicians, and that's what made him famous, right? He was directing them. But he was, when asked, you know, who was your favorite place to be, he said, hanging out at a fire station. He said, I absolutely loved it, loved what we talked about. These mm-hmm. were real genuine people. They didn't want to talk mm-hmm. about how yeah, to string yeah, a violin. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. they were just really yeah. interesting, real people. Yeah. So true. Well, Dina, this you've been, as we suspected, you've been a fascinating uh, interview. I know both Angie and I appreciate your insights, your thoughts on creativity, and um, I know I am, I was, and I know Angie was yes, so pleased to have you as one of our guests. Yes, and, I agree with Rod. And if if everyone out there that's listening would like to know more about Dina, we will have links for her under the show guest tab on thoughtrowpodcast.com so everyone can learn more about her and please connect with her on social media and her web and check out her website. Yeah, by all means, you're yeah. going to see one of my favorite artists uh, and and mm-hmm. she's very expressive and you're really going to want to check out her website and her social media. And of course, if you love looking at images, uh, check out her uh, social media on Facebook and on Instagram. Yes, right. Because that's where it all is. But yes. thank you, Dina. Yes, thank you so much, Dina, and oh, for being with us you. today. Thank you. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Angie, I know it's time for our shout out. Who are we going to be featuring today? Well, this week is Tiffany Apostolou, and she is excited to be moving even further into tech and putting her skills from art and architectural worlds into creating people-centered design solutions for digital products. These are skills Tiffany will be practicing for her own art platform as much as for work outside of the arts. Her URL is Tiffany with a Y, T-I-F-F-A-N-Y, A-P-O-S-T-O-L-O-U dot com. That's a great uh, shout out. And I might mention she's really a great person. She really is. And if you guys are enjoying our podcast, both Rod and I would really appreciate it. If you buy us a cup of coffee, just go to thoughtrow.com, scroll down a tiny bit, and you can find that link on our website right on our homepage. All the money we receive goes to our production costs because we want to keep the show commercial-free and we want to bring you the best quality content possible. Plus that, we're a little thirsty. I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. So it's bye for now from my husband Rod and I, wishing everyone a great day. Mm